Welcome to the Boy Meets World podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Phil Smeraldo, my dear friend, diehard Mariners fan, and one-time incredible Italian guy. Phil was my first podcast guest back in 2015, and back then we spat hot takes about Nelson Cruz's first season as a Mariner. Four years later, Nelson is a Minnesota twin, we're very old, and the M's are in the midst of a franchise reimagination. Trader Jerry DePoto has been awfully busy this offseason, trading key pieces off of last year's team to create a brighter future. Phil and I broke down all of those moves and tried to lay the groundwork for the M's plan going forward. Always great stuff from Phil. I certainly learned a lot. I hope you do too. Enjoy it. All right, Phil, I have one question for you. Yes, sir. Is your run game established? You know, I don't think, I think watching the, the, the Hawks game, uh, the other night I was at work because it's on a Saturday, which is bizarre that they put games on Saturdays now, I guess, or maybe they've always been doing that. <laughs> I'm not really a football fan, but um, it just it seemed from what I could see when I was at work, it seemed like every time they threw the ball, something good happened. Every time they would run the ball, it'd be like up the middle for a yard and a half. So uh, I'm not claiming to be or professing to be a uh, 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 offensive coordinating mastermind, but it, it seems to me like the strategy there would have been to, to air the ball out a little bit more. Yeah, you and uh, basically everyone, but uh, but the guys who were in charge of, of those decisions. Uh, yeah, it's really hard to do play action effectively on third down because the whole thing about play action is that uh, uh, it's it's guising that you might run even if you're not. And uh, when it's third and 17, you can't really do play action super well. Oh, can I actually, can I share a story with you really quick? Very quick. Please, um, yeah. Br- so Brian Schottenheimer, who is the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks, um, for the fans of this podcast who don't know what I do, I work in restaurants. Um, he actually came in to the restaurant and our Bellevue restaurant about two weeks ago. And uh, he came in with his father, Marty, who was a very famous, um, yes. I, bl- I think he was a head coach. You know, that's what I wanted to say. I, this, it's it's really sad. He's he's not doing well. He's got um, I think he's got Alzheimer's or something like that. Uh, he was uh, kind of all right on Brian's uh, hip the whole the whole dinner. But it was it was crazy to see a guy who had you know been basically yeah. a titan of his industry kind of knocked down. It makes you remember these are just real people with families and just going out to dinner and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, Marty played in the NFL or AFL at least, but he was, uh, yeah, he was the coach of the, like, Ladanian Tomlinson Chargers. Like, mm-hmm. that was, you know, within a decade pretty much. So pretty wild, uh, but that's a that's a story for a different day. Um, yeah, so th- let's talk about the Hawks who disappoint you by not using their talent correctly, and uh, we're going to talk about the Mariners who just don't have any talent to use correctly or incorrectly. So that's... Uh, that's uh, the nice thing about the M's is they can't disappoint you in that specific way, but they will, uh, as they did last season. The Mariners in 2018 have one of the all-time collapses in baseball history. It was pretty impressive because uh, you and I hung out on July 1st, went to the game. They beat the Royals 1-0 that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were, Diaz got the save. Diaz got the save. Uh, their playoff odds are right around 90% at that time. You're up around eight, nine games over Oakland. Uh, mm-hmm. And then by the end of July, it was over. Yeah, they, they, yeah. They, they were tied with Oakland. It was and it was part, part of that. Part of that was the Mariners collapsing, but part of that was Oakland just getting inconceivably hot and seemingly not losing a game from July onward. Yeah. So a little of column A, a little of column B. 
<laughs> Jesus call me or Jesus call me? <laughs> oh, we'll get there. We'll get to him. <laughs> yes, we will. Yes, we will. Because a lot has changed since that uh, team that finished 89 and 73 at end of last season uh, looks entirely different uh, than it does right now. And maybe even from right now until when the, the, uh, the 2019 campaign starts. Uh, you were once credible Italian guy on my podcast, and then we predicted, or you predicted, that Brandon League was gonna uh, what be a Cy Young Hall of Fame candidate in a couple of years. Is that is that how it went down? Yeah. So it's actually interesting that you mentioned that because... in my def- <laughs> in my defense here, and this is something I wanted to talk about and actually talk about during the when we get to the column A section, but maybe my understanding of baseball wasn't as uh let's just say refined as it is now and i'm still uh, no no question about it i'm still refining but it's interesting because you see a lot of times with these relievers um they have really great single seasons and then the next year they fall off a cliff and then they come back and then they you know they're the most volatile asset i would say in any sort of organization and we'll get to this with diaz too yep. but any any time you have a reliever who has a really nice season Odds are there's a chance that, you know, they could regress significantly or they could take a big step up. And the reason for that is just because relievers by function don't pitch a ton of innings in a season and their sample sizes are a lot smaller than a lot of other players. So you can see a lot of bigger error bars on 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 their performance. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's plenty of uh, case studies there in Mariners history from Kazu Sasaki to JJ Putz to... And and there's my defense of why I'm not actually bad at this. <laughs> yeah, we, we were drinking Keystone Light in a, in a, in a, there you a go. college study room as we were uh, doing that podcast. So a lot of things have been refined since then. Uh, all right, let's break down this offseason. And it all kind of started... Uh, we knew that it was going to get funky, just kind of the way the contract situations were were all set up. Nelson Cruz was probably not going to come back. Um, and it was just uh-huh. kind of a this this transition feel. And then Jerry DePoto really cracked it open on November 6th when he said, uh, we're open-minded to different ways. This is Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto. Open-minded to different ways we can get better. But what we're hoping to achieve is to reimagine our roster to look at in terms of what is our quickest path to a championship club. Yeah, well, so that reimagine word I, that, got people pretty. He's got pretty yeah, up. he's got quite the imagination. Yes. Um, <laughs> that is that is quite the reimagination, and you know, a lot of people would call that a what he did a rebuild. Um, I think throughout the course of when our discussion, I don't actually really see it that way as a as a full rebuild. When I hear a rebuild, I'm imagining you know tearing it down to the studs, taking anything away that has any sort of value and moving it uh, so you can open up a bigger window later on in the future instead of trying to thread a needle now. Yeah, and I think this, the, you know, when you really look at that quote, I think it, it's, it seems like exactly, it seems like it's, he's talking about a rebuild, but that last part where about quickest path to a championship club is very honest in saying, like, the, our, our, the championship was not going to happen within this this quick little window uh, of this next season for for the Mariners. So they kind of had to punt things mm-hmm. a little bit. So help us frame that. What is the vision here with the M's? Obviously, we're not in, in DePoto's head, and, and what we've seen publicly is not quite uh, what, what he's, you know, his internal machinations are. But what do you think the uh, the overarching plan is for, for the M's and DePoto going forward? Yeah, so for people who don't follow baseball super closely, I'm guessing that's a big portion of your audience um probably care more <laughs> about things like football people, so, you know. <laughs> well you know whatever maybe that's nine out of the ten of them there but anyway go. it's it was probably a really confusing off season if you just follow sort of tangentially you're not really invested in 
seeing every roster move. It's probably like a pretty confusing offseason for you because seemingly things were good last year. They won 89 games. They had a real shot at the playoffs like you alluded to earlier, something like 90% on July 1st. Um, you know, so it's it a lot of people would be questioning why why don't you just supplement the roster that they have instead of just tearing things down and trying to push your your competitive window two years into the future mm-hmm. um so the answer to that question is sort of multifaceted but um there's really one main factor when it comes to the mariners team last year as you saw them they may have won 89 games but the true talent level of that team was not an 89 win team um and there's many statistics you can look at um to sort of glean that information out but the biggest one is the mariners actually gave up more runs last year than they produced um, so if you believe in anything sort of like math wise when it relates to sports <laughs> rather than never heard of it. And hustle and tenacity and all those things, if you believe in just the hardcore math of it, there's a Pythagorean record that the Mariners can use. And really their true talent level, given that they scored X amount of runs and they gave up X amount of runs was more like a 77 or 78 win team. Uh, and you could then infer that they got pretty lucky to win 89 games. Uh, a lot of things broke right for them they had a lot of wins in extra innings and as you know extra innings are pretty much a 50 50 proposition regardless of how good the team is uh you can be the red Sox versus the orioles if you get into a one inning game basically things start to tighten up and the odds become more 50 50 the mariners had an overwhelmingly positive record in in close games like that and that's just not something that you can bank on repeating throughout the years and sustaining that as a successful model so DePoto did something that I thought was really gutsy. A lot of GMs would have looked at an 89-win team and said, you know what, we can do it. Let's push. Let's go out and sign, I don't know who just signed, David Robertson. Let's get some bullpen help. Uh, Let's just tweak our roster and really try and and thread this needle here. But he, I don't know if it was because he was trying to protect himself, maybe buy himself a couple more years, but I think he did the right thing. And he said... This team is not, in its current iteration, with its current core, they're not ready to compete. Uh, Rather than trying to thread this impossibly small needle, uh, when you look at teams like Houston, and you look at teams like Boston and New York, and even Oakland, who have a lot more talent than the Mariners, who are a lot better teams than the Mariners right now, it's just not worth hanging on to this aging core one year too long and then spiraling yourself into a 10-year rebuild when you can get rid of assets now and start like you said, building towards the quickest window to championship contention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and that's that's kind of the point here is if you look at kind of expected expected wins with the, you know, the the setup that the M's had at the end of last season going forward, you weren't going to get back to 89 very easily even if you brought back Nelson Cruz, even if you like you said you went out and made a couple of acquisitions. And even if you get to 89, you get to 90, you push for a wild card. You're not really a championship team, which is kind of comforting to hear because that means that DePoto isn't just trying to sell out and make a playoff appearance because we've seen that before and we're kind of over that. Um, right. But DePoto mentioned specifically, and he kind of gave this this arbitrary date when he was talking about uh, one of the, I think the Robinson Cano trade, uh, his motivation behind that. And that was to get guys that are going to be in their mid to late 20s uh, in a few years, because right when baseball players are, are starting to to turn and become who they are, the kind of their their actual selves, i.e. Mitch Haniger right now, uh, and and kind of position themselves for mid season twenty twenty was the date. 
Um, so all of these moves kind of have to be taken into the lens of, all right, how is everything like you're, you're acquiring a 23 year old now, but how might that look in mid season 2020? So that's exactly the second part of, um, what I, that's a very good segue into what I was kind of, I guess, inferring from all these moves is DePoto's strategy here. Um, it's, I'll use another football reference here. It's similar to the same strategy as getting guys who are on rookie contracts in the NFL, hoping that they outproduce that contract in once they become a 23, 24, 25 year old. And then you finish the team off with some big name free agents. Instead of trying to build through free agency, you get those guys right when all the young guys are crescendoing, but they're still on those rookie contracts, just like Mitch Hanniger right now. He's making $500,000 this year, and he's going to probably be a four or five uh, win above replacement player. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of guys like that, and then you go out and you supplement them with maybe a big-name free agent or you know a lot of bullpen help out on the open market, but you don't build the team through the free agency, and that's kind of where DePoto got to. He's looked at the roster he said we've got a lot of aging guys we've got a lot of expensive contracts and the core is not going to be able to hold up and to the point where i can go out and just make some minor tweaks to the roster and contend i need to rebuild it and help all these guys start to crescendo like a wave at the same time and then we can make a move yeah and that's how he's opening up the window exactly right so so the the championship window was was not happening now so he just kind of you know reimagined it took a quick acid tab and then uh you know (laughs) brought himself to the to the universe where where this can happen within a couple of years so it's comforting there is a plan in place and i think that in our conversations um that that's kind of been the most comforting part here is that there seems to be this final realization that hasn't happened in a very long time in seattle uh that it's just not going to happen and that this has to be kind of uh, I hate to say it, but reimagined in order for for uh, true success, which is not just a, a, a blip 92 win season, uh, but uh, you know sustained, uh, really run with a good core, um, and that's what what Depoto's going for. So yeah, we'll, and the uh, thing, go ahead. Oh yeah. yeah, no, please. And the thing about it is, um, you know, I think I mentioned this to you earlier. Is I guess the um, the results will sort of. There's no guarantee that any of these trades that they made just getting Justin Dunn or Jake Fraley or Jared Kelnick, any of that's going to amount to anything. We've seen all the time guys flame out and um, not may, not live up to their potential. But the odds of having these guys come through the system, be cheap and quality players, and it's not it's not a high percentage chance, but it's a lot better percentage chance than trying to continue on on the route they're going. So they, they took a turn, and, and I think it's ultimately a turn that's not super high percentage. They're not the Astros with Correa and Altuve and Bregman and all those guys. But they do have some real talent in the minors now that you know conceivably could actually open up the window here. Yeah, let's talk about how they acquired that talent um, and just give a, a chronological breakdown of, of, uh, of the acquisitions this uh, this this winter or this fall and winter for for the M's. Um, so I'll I'll kind of break down the key pieces of it, um, and then you will give your your instance uh, refined analysis about, about the uh, the mm-hmm. the M's got back in, in relation to what they gave up. So Depoto talked about reimagination uh, in uh, on November sixth. Uh, the acid wears off, and he says, "Shit, I have to make a trade." Uh, November eighth, two thousand eighteen, uh, the Mariners tra- trade Mike Zanino, Guillermo Heredia. Michael Plasmeyer to Tampa Bay for Malik's 
Um, you, you ever seen, mm-hmm. you've seen you've seen Dodgeball, right? Oh yeah. You know how uh, Steve the Pirate says bollocks like that? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's how I'm gonna say Malik or Malik from, from now on. Malik Smith uh, and uh, and Jake Fraley. Um, Malik Smith has an interesting history with with the Mariners. He was yeah. Part I was of, wondering if you were gonna bring that up. Oh yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was part of the hall that uh, acquired Drew Smiley, he of the soggy arm who never ever pitched a baseball for. Man, the you're Mariners. taking all my notes here. That's that's exactly what I was gonna say. I but just yeah, hope right I just on. hope that uh, that Malik Smith wears uh, soggy on the back of his jersey for Players Weekend. Is, is that too much <laughs> to ask? I think that's a very fine ask. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of this of this hall? Okay, so I guess we should start on what we gave up. That's how I'll do it for these trades. What we gave up, Mike Zanino. I don't want to dwell on him too much. Anyone who's watched any sort of Mariners baseball or would be listening to this podcast still at this point and not have shut it off knows who Mike Zanino is. He has good power. He strikes out a lot. He doesn't walk. Uh, We pretty much know who he was. And the aspect of him is he was coming to the end of his service time. He was going to start getting really expensive or I guess at least as expensive as Mike Zanino can ever possibly get considering the quality of player he is but uh you know it'll be sad to see him go I really liked him he was one of my favorites personally I think he did a good job with the pitching staff he did hit some massive home runs which are always good for entertainment value but um yeah that's really all there is about Mike Zanino (laughs) I hope he has safe travels and I thank him for not being Jeff Clement as a if anyone remembers Jeff Clement (laughs) that is um just go look him up. Well, I guess. You don't remember Jeff Clement because he never actually ended up playing very much for the Ebbs. But uh, as a former catcher yourself, you gotta gotta respect the Mike Zanino pitch framing, right? That's that's huge. Oh yeah, and that's and the, when we get into Narvaez, the yeah. guy that they got for Colme, that's one of the points that I want to bring up about how catchers are probably still, even with all the analytic and sabermetric movements in baseball now, catchers are probably still the least understood in terms of the value that they present to the team. Mm-hmm. But one thing that was very apparent with Mike Zanino is he was a, a, a fantastic defensive catcher, not only in his ability to throw runners out and block pitches, but also just like what you said, framing. And that's so huge for a pitching staff. If you look at the numbers, the difference between a guy sitting one and two versus two and one uh, in the pitch count because the catcher was able to steal that strike. Sure. That 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 is uh, you're talking about a difference in batting average and on base percentage and slugging numbers of 300 points. You know, it's so much easier to hit two one than it is one two. So anytime your catcher can steal you a big strike, that that is that is very very important yeah. um, in terms of the game. Yeah, and so so Zanino will be missed. I mean, the, the the frustrations had just been going on for so long. If this is the same type of player who's just not getting better, no matter what kind of remedy, some of that can be blamed maybe on on uh, the these previous regime for, mm-hmm. for pushing him along a little bit too early, uh, a lot too early as a as a young catcher into the into the uh, Mariners major league roster. Uh, it's unfortunate that, that we'll never know what would have happened if if Zanino had been a little bit more uh, handled, yeah, handled and a he's he's not a bad player. Um, he's, it's just, like you said, when he started to stall out and you realize this is about as good as Mike Zanino is ever going to be, I guess that did get frustrating and it was frustrating for everyone, but I'm sure it was more frustrating for him than it was for us. Sure. Uh, to Heredia, what, what do you think? Are the M's just losing just a, a utility player? Yeah, yeah, there's nothing there. There, yeah. <laughs> I don't even really want to talk about him. I, uh, the guy I kind of do want to talk about is Michael Plasmeyer. All right. Um, Who's not Michael he, Fassbender, who is a great German. <laughs> no, actor, but. 
but he is not an insignificant part of this trade. I think he is people around the league from what I read and what I hear, they do like him. Uh, he was a fourth rounder. He's a lefty and he throws hard. Um, he's got obviously some tools, but, um, you know, I guess I just don't know how much yeah. I can worry about him. He's not particularly close to being in the majors. He's a lefty. Uh, the odds are already stacked against him even making it to the MLB, let alone being an impact player. And I think we have bigger things to worry about in this world than yeah. than if Michael Plasmeyer is going to be a, an impact player, which, you know, very well two years, three years, probably from now he could be, but I, I, I don't yeah. think it's yeah, anything we're, we're worth worrying about, about. We're going to say about 50 names in the course of this podcast and about uh, <laughs> 15 of them might matter someday. So exactly. That's, that's... Uh, yeah, so I'm not going to spend anyone's time to fret about Michael Plasmeyer. Hopefully one of the names that does matter is uh, Mollick Smith. Uh, what do you think about, about Smith? He had a really, really nice season for, for Tampa last year. My, my read is kind of just, uh, you know, fiery base path type guy, lots of athleticism, poor defender. Yeah. Uh, so according to his UZR, his ultimate zone rating, which is a sabermetric statistic based on all sorts of, um, I guess, data on how far, how much ground the player covers, how many uh, plays he makes that other defenders don't, how many plays he doesn't make that other defenders do. He was actually a positive defender last year. Okay. Um, now, granted, his arm is not very good. He only had, I think, seven outfield assists last year, which is well below average, but Again, that all also depends on how many opportunities you get to throw guys out from the outfield, which is obviously something that's not totally within his control. Um, so he's a good he's a good center fielder. Um, like you said, he had a nice year at the plate last year. So he has good on base skills. He walks about eight percent of his at bats, which is not bad considering how poor the Mariners were at drawing walks last year. He's downright heroic at <laughs> drawing base on balls. Uh, but he's, got, <laughs> he's got no power, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because he's fast mm -hmm. and he gets on base. He can steal bases, obviously. Um, the one he was worth uh, 3.6 wins above replacement last year, which is a very good regular. Obviously, there's some things in his peripheral statistics that are really concerning. Um, he has a he runs a super high what's called a batting average on balls in play, which is uh, means every time he basically puts the ball in play how many times does that ball fall in for hits uh his was very very high which is anytime you see that a cause for some concern because sure. a lot of that can be uh regression prone so maybe his batting average and all those things that we like to actually look at might not hold up throughout the course of a year again but he is very fast so a lot of his batting average on balls in play might be sustainable because he does get things like infield hits and stuff like that yeah yeah, I, I like the uh, I like the, the 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 frame of the player, and I like that the, the uh, there's kind of this you know continuing vision that Depoto has of wanting wanting athleticism and wanting to be become a more uh, you know a team that can stretch bases and that sort of thing, and having him plus D Gordon. Um, I I mean I think that, that when the M's were really rolling last year was when Gene Segura and D Gordon were terrors on the base paths at the top. Exactly. Of the lineup. And mm -hmm. I think that they're trying to to recreate that in some way, um, and hopefully that that uh, Malik Smith can be. Sorry, I said it wrong. Malik Smith can be a little, <laughs> there you a, go. little, a little more patient than uh, than Gene Segura was, um, and hopefully D Gordon can be a little more patient than he was to uh, create some some extra uh, opportunities to be on the bases rather than just getting base. Yeah, points. and that's a that's a theme that I mean I'm going to bring up a lot is 
the most important thing a hitter can do when he gets up to the plate is not make an out. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily about batting average and all that stuff, but how much it means in a conglomeration of things, how many walks you get, how many times, you know, you can steal, uh, stuff like that. Don't, you can steal successfully. You don't make outs. That's the most important thing you can do on the field. Cause make not making it out is probably the hardest thing you can do on the field. To, uh, to the next move, which was... All of- uh, real quick, there's a guy yes. in that trade named Jake Fraley who uh. should probably be looked at. Um, he's an interesting prospect. Uh, he's super old for his level. Uh, he's in double A. He's 25, which is very old. But he has a lot of Mitch Hanniger to him. He made a late season swing change. And after he made that swing change to elevate the ball more, uh, he has started putting up really, really interesting numbers. So he'll be old, but it's someone that you should probably watch. Jake Fraley, I remember the name. Uh, Eleven days after the Mike Zanino trade, after some some rumors, it kind of was uh, was you know uh, a foregone conclusion this was going to happen uh, because of the supply and the demand of this. Uh, the M's traded James Paxton to the New York Yankees uh, for their number one prospect, Justice Sheffield, not Gary's kid, as I came to find out after that. Uh, right-handed pitcher Eric. Gary Swanson. does have a kid though who plays baseball. There we go. Just not, not justice. <laughs> and then uh, center fielder Dom Thompson Williams. Uh, Sheffield, obviously top forty prospect, twenty-two years old. Uh, made an appearance with the Yankees at the end of last season. Uh, Swanson already becomes the uh, M's eleventh best prospect. And then the other thing I know about this is that Dom Thompson Williams looks exactly uh, like Golden Tate. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? He's yeah. got he's got that same sort of vibe to him. Yeah. Uh, What do you think about this one? So Justice Sheffield, he's obviously the crown jewel of the package. He was the number one um, prospect in the Yankees system, and he slides right over into the number one spot in the Mariners system. Um, So there is a little bit of concern. I'll start with the concerns about him, and then uh, we'll go from there. Um, he He has a really good fastball slider combo, but he doesn't really have a reliable third pitch right now, which is if you're going to be a starter, that's something you need. If you want to be a reliever, you can be Edwin Diaz with an amazing fastball slider, and you can be the best reliever in the league with that. Mm-hmm. But uh, to be a, uh, a starting pitcher, you need a third pitch, and he doesn't seem to quite have a feel for the changeup yet, but that um, some people think it's coming. Some people don't. Some people think he's better suited for the bullpen. Uh, sometimes his control comes and goes. Uh, he walks more people than you'd really like to see, but again, that's something that can be alleviated throughout time in a system. And he is very close to the majors, so there's not a whole lot of issue with injury concern and stuff like that. Um, the, con- uh, the control is concerning because, you know, like I just said, you don't want to walk people, you don't want to put them on the base pass, and you don't want to get behind in counts. But obviously, a lot of people like him. He's a top 50 guy, so what do I know? He did those in the uh, in the the chamber. If nothing else, then just to to have uh, the, the flexibility to turn that into something else, which is exactly the theme of the uh, Depoto administration. Yeah, it's it's almost uh, I don't want to sound callous to say it, but you almost have to look at these guys like raw materials. What can I turn this into instead of what is this? Yeah, sort of deal. Uh, to, what do you think about Swanson? So that's the, okay. This is the guy I think is my favorite guy of everybody that. Depoto's acquired this year. Interesting. Um, yeah, I really, really like Eric Swanson. He is a guy who's he, so he's in the same level as Justice Sheffield in terms of he's a Triple A. He's very close to the majors. He has something called a high spin rate fastball. So the ball rotates. His four seam fastball rotates with a lot more backspin than most guys. And when you're talking about velocity, 
you actually want to talk about effective velocity here. It makes it look faster, and it does, and it gives it that perception of rising in the zone. So his fastball is his best weapon because he can throw it up in the zone. And, I mean, it's not a secret. You look at anywhere around the majors right now, everyone is sort of selling out for power. All the All the guys are changing their swing planes on their bats to try and get the ball in the air more. And the best antidote to that uh, is a guy who can throw it up in the zone because that's where that swing plane is the most vulnerable. So he's a guy who can really play his stuff up in the zone, and I really, really think he has the potential to be a, a solid middle-of-the-rotation middle, middle of the rotation pitcher for the Mariners. This is a guy that I'm the most excited about. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that was not the convention, conventional wisdom. Obviously, the guys like Sheffield and – uh, we'll talk about Kellenic a little bit later, the guys that are are, are turning more heads. Uh, but Swanson does seem very solid and a guy that could contend for the rotation this year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, oh yeah, he's close. Yeah. He's very close. So I, I, I really think he's he's got no injury history. He's strong, he's durable, and I just I think he's going to be a good play, pitcher for the Mariners. Thompson Williams coming back, uh, you know, besides the Golden Tate part of it, people, people seem to be all over the board on him, thinking that he could be a guy that's really about to pop. Uh, or someone who is just not not an MLB player. Where do, you, where do you stand on this? I think it's too early to tell with him. He's he, he it's, he's a flyer. He's what they call a lottery ticket. You know, he has the chance. He does have the tools. He walks a lot. He's got good plate discipline. But you know, it hasn't translated to him in the lower minors yet. So he's one of those guys who's probably got maybe a ten. He's got a huge uh, band of outcomes. I should say he could really make an impact in the MLB or he could flame out and we'll never hear about him again. Probably the latter, but maybe the former. <laughs> if you had to guess, uh, are the Yankees regretting this trade in two years by mid mid season no, 2020, or are they, they're going to be perfect. I, I don't think so. I, I think they will be fine. I think they will be really happy with Paxson. He's a top 15 pitcher. And this isn't in, in terms of uh, other packages we've seen for players of uh, Paxson's caliber. This is what I would say is right around on par with other sorts of trades that have uh, come up. But um, Pat, right now the Yankees are in their window and they don't want to have to gamble and guess with, oh, is Sheffield going to develop his third pitch? Is Swanson yep. going to be who we thought he could be? And then Don Thompson-Williams, uh, he's too far out to even make a difference now. I think they're going to be happy with this. And I think the Mariners will be happy with this. I think it is one of those things where everyone's going to be content at the end of the day yeah exactly playing for different stakes both those teams mm-hmm. uh f the yankees but that's you know that that way of thinking won't get you anywhere so kind of had to make it happen uh so they waited all of 11 days before the next official trade obviously the uh the rumors about robinson cano were rampant throughout but that one didn't go through until uh, december 3rd that, that was a fun couple weeks huh oh it was so fun uh november 30th uh we trade alex column b to the chicago white sox uh, for catcher Omar Nar- Narvaez, uh, who t- just in what I've read is is been being described as if he's never actually played catcher in his entire life. Yeah, he's not a very <laughs> good defensive catcher. Yeah, I would actually say he is sort of like the an- opposite day version of Mike Zanino. He's like Bizarro World Mike Zanino. Did we just acquire Miguel Olivo? He well, he doesn't hit for power, which okay. Zanino obviously had in, in spades, but he walks a lot, which Zanino never did. He doesn't strike out, which, as you, I don't need to tell you, Mike, you know, struck out of, 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 of a multitude of times. And uh, his defense is really bad, uh, which Mike Zanino was very good at. Um, he, not in the terms of throwing guys out, he's actually about league average at throwing guys out on the base pass. 
But his, like we were talking about, his pitch framing and his blocking, uh, let's just say they leave a lot to be desired. But here's the thing with this guy. Um, we were ta- we've been talking sort of about hoping all these guys can crescendo at the same time. He's another guy who has a lot of service time left. And if he can just be a league average catcher on a bargain basement uh, deal, that provides a lot of value for the team. You don't need every player to be an all-star, but what you do need is every player to pr- outproduce their contract, which I think he's more than capable of doing, especially given his contract's going to be so small. Especially when you don't care if you're losing 90 games or not. I mean, it's, it's the perfect thing. If just you need, you need just a, a you know cheap uh, holdover guy in that position for the, for the current current window which is just you know a couple years mm-hmm, exactly to uh to the next trade chronologically uh that went through was the the gene segura trade so uh the m's traded gene segura actually let's do this let's flip it uh the, okay the, the cano trade happened before that let's let's yeah this is sort of the granddaddy of yeah, all let's, the trades let's not kid ourselves and this also fits the narrative a little bit better because uh things were real good when we got this trade we traded robinson cano uh, Edwin Diaz uh, to the New York Mets for outfielder Jay Bruce, right-handed pitcher Anthony Swarzak, uh, right-handed pitcher Gershon Batista, center fielder Jared Kelenic, uh, and right-handed pitcher Justin Dunn. First of all, uh, let's uh, let's have you stop me from comparing Jared Kelenic to uh, as or calling him the the Wisconsin Mike Trout. Stop me. God, I can't stop you because I think me. the same thing. He's I adorable. Think, uh, it's just look so, at Jared Kilenick. He's just this little cherub who who hits dingers and is from. But the it's lakes such of a good it's such a good comparison too because Mike Trout came from a cold weather state out of high school too, just like Jared Kilenick and those guys in cold weather states. I don't know if you can compare they, Pennsylvania to to uh, or maybe Jer- I think he's from Jersey. Jersey to, to Wisconsin. To Wisconsin. Well, let's just Those say let's just say they they have they share similar baseball time climates sure. for parts of the year. So I just I think that is such a good compare not saying he's going to become Mike Trout, but a lot of times guys like that like Kellenick get passed over because they're not from Florida or California or Texas where you see a lot of the hotbeds of talent or or the Kinko conference. <laughs> uh, if yeah. only the scouts had seen me play, I'd probably be I'd probably be there now. I love Kellenick. He's 19 years old, top 100 prospect. He was the 6th overall pick in 2018. Uh, of course, you know, DePoto comes out immediately, says, we would have drafted this guy number one overall if we had him. They had the 14th pick, so they didn't get the chance at Kellenic. Um, yeah, I like their 14th pick, Gilbert, too, though. Yeah, he's, he's, a, good, he's a good player. He's a part of the picture. Um, yeah. But, yeah, this this is exciting. This this is the guy who, uh, like I said to, to you and Quinn, this will be the, the, the minor league box score that I'm checking regularly. Exactly, and it's fun to be able to be invested in minor leagues. But let's start out with, Swarzak and Bruce, because those are the easiest two guys to knock out in terms of why they're coming over. Um, Obviously, those two guys have big contracts, and when we're giving up 120, when we're, I shouldn't say giving up, when we're sending away 120 million plus with Cano, the Mets are not just going to take that on willingly. They need to unload some bad contracts too. So they gave us Swarzak and Bruce's contracts, which total to around $60 million um, in terms of their total value not annual value mm-hmm. but um both of these guys actually they had a horrible both of them had just horrendous 2018s but both of them had really nice 2017 so it's not inconceivable that either of these guys uh show a minor bounce back and maybe can turn themselves into something of a valuable trade chip uh down the road um i wouldn't 
get your hopes up for a top 50 guy or anything like that, like Eloy Jimenez or Fernando Tatis. But um, it's it's conceivable that if the Mariners eat some money and these guys perform a little bit, they might not have negative value. So that's all I want to say about them. I also think that there's something to be said about getting a guy like Bruce who is just a, a, a pro, and, and this, this team is going to be – uh, in a, somewhat of a dearth of that, especially when you lose clubhouse leaders like Nelson Cruz and and uh, um, and Mike Zanino and and you know people of that ilk who just kind of carry a lot of weight. So getting a guy like Bruce who's not going to come in here immediately and and you know upset the out card, he's going to inject some professionalism when you have a, an environment of younger players. I think is important. Exactly, and I I think that even uh, Depoto's talked about that building a clubhouse culture, and I think uh, part of that's going to be touched on when we get to the Segura trade of. of <laughs> why he was dealt but um anyway the other guys coming over in that trade let's talk about gerson batista um batista from from what i'm gathering uh it how his fastball has been described is basically the opposite uh of swanson's no movement on it no movement but so he's a good news bad news guy the good news is he throws 102 miles an hour sometimes Mm -hmm. uh the bad news is it's dead straight and it oftentimes doesn't go over the plate um so you know just like in anything in life, you got to take the good and the bad. Mike Zanino uh, loves that pitch. <laughs> but so here's the thing with him. Um, if you no- follow the Mariners front office at all, you'll you'll hear a name c- continually getting repeated, and that's uh, Brian DeLunis. And he is the um, head of pitcher development, not the pitching coach, but the head of pitcher development. And he is the guy who's kind of been credited with fixing Marco Gonzalez and sort of sort of fixing uh, Wade LeBlanc, and maybe he can take Gerson Batista and put him through his magic pitching machine and sort of fix him too. Yeah. So I guess that's the hope there. Let's hope so. Uh, another guy who might come through DeLunis's office is uh, right-handed pitcher Justin Dunn, 23-year-old righty with some closing experience. Um, yeah, closed that? at Boston College. Closer right up the hill from me at Boston College. Go Eags. Hope he had some, some breakfast at Jim's Deli up there in Brighton. Great place. Uh, what do you th- what do you see out of Dunn? Is this um, this is uh, it's kind of an interesting thing here because this is the you know is this your closer of the future or is this a guy that you start kind of getting on that starter track? So he is right as of right now he's on the starter track. He's going to start the year in AAA as a or excuse me double AA, double A Arkansas as a starter. Um, he's got two pitches that are already major league ready according to most scouts. They really like. Uh, and he's building his third. Uh, he's a top 100 prospect as well. Um, and he's got, from what I understand, a pretty high floor. But there is the word of caution. There's a there's a saying in baseball, tin stop. And that's an acronym for there is no such thing as a pitching prospect. And it's kind of what I touched on with Plasmeyer. When these guys aren't close to the majors, so many things can go wrong. There's so many pitfalls along the path. Um you know, obviously injuries are always a major concern, but maybe that pitch never develops. Maybe the con- they try and tweak the mechanics and then the control, uh, they lose the control or the control, you know, suddenly vanishes. So there's so many things that could go wrong. Um, that's why I think uh, it was a good idea to get a guy who is generally considered a higher floor guy um, like Justin Dunn. So the, it took me all of that explanation. I'll listen to it later to, to figure out that acronym. T-I-N-S-T-A-A-P-P, correct? Yep, there is no such thing as a pitching prospect. Which is different and, and, different than oh, yeah, Omar Narvaez, who is just a, a tin stop uh, behind T-I-N-S-T-O. <laughs> That's right? very clever. Right. Yeah, he's he's not, he, he's not a uh, pitching prospect either. But uh, that, that, that saying has permeated through baseball because you've seen so many guys who have been touted as the next 
uh, big thing just sort of flame out. Um, we have a few that you could point to in the Mariners organization. Um, Danny Holtzen, uh, like Bobby Ayala, yeah. if you go back. But yeah, but that's not a thing that is um, solely a Mariners issue. That is something that has kind of been infectious throughout the league. Everyone's had pitching prospects that they've thought would be the next big thing that never amounted to what they would have hoped. Yeah, so so we talked a lot about the Hall coming back on this. I think that this, you know, this is the... This is the gem in terms of uh, kind of the, the the swath of players with with Ger- Batista, Kellenic, and Dunn. Those are three guys that could could be on your roster in a couple years. Kellenic could be you know your star within within five years. He's a little bit younger than the rest of the guys coming back. Um, that's- yeah, that's the one thing about Kellenic is the word of caution is he's going to probably be the one that's the most pressed mm-hmm. to get on the right side of the window when everyone else is coming up. So he's got to he's got to they got to be aggressive with him and try and move him through the. The system quickly which obviously as we've seen with players like Mike Zanino sometimes that's not in the benefit of serving the player but more in the benefit of saving the GM's job so a lot of times that can uh, provide adverse results from what you were hoping for yeah it was interesting that DePoto even gave that midseason 2020 date because that does put some amount of pressure on all of these guys to to be ready for that which is interesting I mean it, it kind of depends like it, midseason 2020 are we a trade away from making the playoffs or are we just looking more promising for the next year. So that'll be interesting to monitor uh, kind of how they, how they progress with those guys. But, um, but yeah, interesting to give yourself kind of a timeline uh, and make that public. At least we're trading Robinson Cano. Obviously Cano is still a productive second baseman. um, Probably not for very much longer. Uh, And And that's the only reason they were able to move him is because he is a productive second baseman. If his, uh, output had been that of someone like Albert Pujols, yeah. this trade never would have been able to materialize because Cano still does have value. It's just his contract is such a hindrance, it, it makes him a, a little bit of a millstone around the team's neck to move him. Is that another acronym, millstone, or is that... <laughs> no, millstone, you know a millstone, like when they would put those things and people would have to drag them around their necks. Uh, I don't know, this is like in <laughs> medieval times, yes, I don't know. I look up a millstone. Um, Listeners, look up a millstone when here, you get home. Here's a very quick question for you. Uh, if uh, if Robinson Cano doesn't get suspended last year, plays the entire season, racks up another 200 at bats in that in that time that he's suspended, uh, would the Mets still desire to acquire him? I think the price would have been a lot higher. So I'm not. I think that 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 those uh, those at bats he missed due to suspension were were a maybe you could have seen somebody. Uh, a little bit more than a Gerson Batista coming back in the trade if, if Cano had had actually proved to be productive throughout the whole season. Maybe you, there was a the thought that maybe a guy named Jeff McNeil, who's a, a pretty good major league regular, was coming over with uh, mm-hmm. with Kalanick and and uh, Dunn. But uh, I guess some of that value was eroded when he got popped for PEDs. Sure. Uh, and Diaz, we touched upon briefly at the top of the show, but uh, yeah. yeah, he's very good. I, I'm gonna miss Edwin Diaz. He was so <laughs> yeah. so freaking good. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you don't necessarily need a closer when you're not too concerned with winning games exactly and that's the thing the closer role this year should be solely based on who they think can add the most value to be traded because the Mariners do not need a closer this year they're probably not going to need a closer next year they need to put somebody in there who they think can build value to be traded exactly um so that's that's putting a bow on that uh that Mets trade um we we all love that uh now to a trade that you did not (laughs) Yeah, I did not all. care for this one. Uh, I did the, not care for this one. In the moment, I'm wondering if, if with some refining, you've you've had some a chance to uh, to change your opinion on it. Uh, but the M's traded shortstop, all star shortstop Gene Segura, 
uh, bullpen guys, Juan Casio and James Pazos. To the fit. mustache. Remember the mustache? Hell yeah. We, we yeah. were <laughs> drooling over that mustache last year, and it turns out it was it was uh, well-founded. He was he was excellent last year. He was, he was good, yeah. To uh, to Philadelphia for first baseman Carlos Santana, uh, who's already, already been duly departed, but we'll talk about that later, and shortstop J.P. Crawford. So the deal with Crawford is he's kind of the, the, the piece of this, especially because Santana's already gone. Uh, since Eric Crawford is 23 years old, he was ranked the sixth overall prospect in 2015, which is not necessarily a good thing because he really hasn't panned out. Uh, so mm-hmm. he, some could already call him a bust, but, uh, Depoto, he's getting, he's getting a little bit into that territory. Depoto is betting that he can fix this guy. And, and it's kind of this catch 22 because Depoto is telling us, Oh, he's only 23 years old. Uh, and, and, you know, the, that's still plenty of time. Uh, but if you look past that and you say, well, he's 23 years old and he has shown basically nothing at the major league level that, that uh, is, uh, is super valuable. So I'll talk about Crawford for a minute and then we'll go on to Segura. Well, I think the important thing to recognize with this Segura trade is initially my reaction was uh, one of disgust uh, because you, you're trading away, like you said, an all-star shortstop who was very, very, very productive last year. But then you look around the league and you look at teams who are contending, teams who would need a guy like Gene Segura to be on their team, teams that think they can, they're can they one piece away from, from either playoff contention or making a serious push for the World Series. All those teams have shortstops minus two. Yeah. Uh, one's the Brewers, and one was the Phillies. Uh, the Brewers already had Gene Segura. They're not going back down that road. So that really left only one suitor uh, for a Gene Segura trade. So basically, the Mariners had very little leverage in moving Segura. They knew they needed to move him. They knew there was really only one buyer out there. So the buyer, I don't want to say he, the Phillies got to set their price, but uh, the Mariners, the Mariners really lacked a lot of leverage in this trade, which is why I think you see the result that you see. Yeah, and and it's kind of I think when we, when this first happened, uh, you and I and others wanted another prospect, just just a, another bullet in the chamber from back from mm-hmm. Philly. To make this somewhat more of, of it's palatable, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Because you're looking at it on face of saying, okay, you have an all-star shortstop, uh, and you're trading him for an MLB shortstop, a guy who played a full season last year in Crawford, um, and the talent disparity, the the production disparity between those two is huge. I think if I'm getting into Poto's head, a there's this hidden element of <laughs> Gene Segura. Not the best guy is what we're mm-hmm. we've come to find. I mean, out. he has been traded five times. I don't know. I don't, I'm I'm hesitant to say. Oh, it's definitely because he's a, a clubhouse. Yeah. Whatever clubhouse detriment, but yeah, I mean, p- teams generally don't trade guys five times that they are super fond of. But maybe Gene Segura has just found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, but like my mom always used to say to me, if it always smells like crap everywhere you go, maybe you should check your shoes. Mm, um, I like that. It, I I don't know. Um, but J.P. Crawford, he had a really interesting year last year. Um, so it was kind of a Jekyll and Hyde sort of thing. He had uh, uh, early – he was obviously the starter for the early season. Um, and I guess there's a rumor that he was playing hurt. Um, and he put up what they call a WRC+, plus, which is basically, if you want to think about it, uh, it's a called weighted runs created. It's a sabermetric stat that takes into account – everything that kind of all the traditional stats uh, miss and it just sort of conglomerates it. And so a hundred on a scale, a hundred is an average hitter, league average hitter. So 120 is, is a good hitter. 130 Mm -hmm. is an all-star and 150 is Mike Trout. Um, 
JP Crawford had a WRC plus in the first half of 90. So that's obviously not good. Yeah. But his second half, when he came back from injury, uh, he turned that into 115. So that's, uh, I would say a well above average hitter. And the thing with a shortstop is if you can be a shortstop with a league average bat, you're going to be a very tremendously valuable player to a team. Same thing with a catcher. If a catcher has good defense and can hit at league average, that's probably an all-star catcher. So I think there is something to look at with J.P. Crawford, and, and there is room for optimism to say, hey, this guy, if he you know, continues on like he did in the second half of last year, he could be a very valuable player for the Mariners. We've talked about uh, Hanniger a couple times as kind of this case study for development. And I think that the uh, – I had a question for you later – but it's it's kind of this. You remember with with uh, with the Seahawks when we were just drafting defensive tackles and acquiring defensive tackles, trying to turn them into offensive tournament. Yeah, Cause, absolutely. Because it worked with Jr. Sweezy, and it, mm-hmm. it, that was this incredible inefficiency that you discovered. And it's not like Jerry Depoto was the first guy to have a guy under his his uh, organization that has popped a little bit later. But I think there might be something to this, and I'm curious what you think about this. Of Depoto seeking these guys out a little bit more because he has a guy under his wing with with Hanniger, uh, who you know didn't was a first round pick in two thousand as a twenty one year old and didn't really pop until he was twenty six. Um, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right about that. That's that's exactly what he's doing. Um, you know, he obviously has seen his results and he believes in his for for maybe it'll be the ultimate pitfall of his regime and and this is what's going to send Jerry Depoto packing. But he believes in his ability to find guys who have good pedigrees, like a Marco Gonzalez, like a Mitch Haniger. Uh, both of those guys, uh, both of those guys drafted in the first round, and then you know maybe they struggle under a, uh, a regime elsewhere that is a little less development oriented. And he can take them in, you know, like Jesus, give me your huddled and sick, and he can turn them around and really make productive players out of them. That, I think, is what he is hoping for in all of these trades, and you're going to see that again with the Domingo-Santana trade. Um, I don't know how much uh, efficacy there's going to be in that, but it's going to be remain to, see, remain to be seen. And if it works, then great. The Mariners are going to be in the playoffs, and Jerry Depoto is going to be a, uh, a savior of sorts to the franchise. And if it doesn't, well, then his, his tenure is going to be pretty short-lived here. Yeah, yeah, we'll see if, I mean, I think he's probably bought him enough time to get to 2020, uh, but uh, we'll see after that. But yeah, it is it is interesting. You kind of see the, the groundwork being laid for the types of players he's trying to flip and, and uh, make, you know, make more valuable than, than others might see, uh, which is something that our uh, our football team in, in Seattle has, has made a habit of doing. Uh, the next transaction was claiming Caleb Cowart off of waivers from LA. That's a fun one. To, yeah. He's maybe going to pitch and hit. Which yeah, is he's like freaky. way better than he's way better than Otani. They call him the American Otani. Way better than Otani. <laughs> no, he is he is much 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 worse than Otani. <laughs> but this is actually a guy who um, uh, Jerry Depoto drafted. He, Jerry Depoto drafted Caleb Coward in L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a first round pick, um, and he took like uh, like we're gonna say again. He took the route of being a. Um, position player out of high school because tin stop no such thing as a pitching prospect it's so much safer to come into the um minors as a position player rather than a pitcher because your your scope of outcomes is so much more narrow and usually uh slanting positive whereas for a pitcher you know the scope of outcomes is huge and usually slanting negative um but 
Caleb Cowart was a very, very good pitcher in uh, high school as well. He was a first-round talent both as a uh, pitcher and a uh, position player. Obviously, that um, shine has worn off him now that he's 27, 26, 27, and he has not hit at all in the majors. But uh, it's interesting. It's going to say, you know what it's going to do? It's going to save a um, roster spot because they're going to use Cowart as both the mop-up guy and the utility guy so they can put an extra guy on the team that they think, hey, let's check this guy out, see if he could be anything, you know? So there is value in having someone like that. And I think that's a, a trend a lot of teams are going to are gonna move towards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just saying he's, you know, he's kind of one part interesting sideshow and then another part, uh, you know, super practical uh, piece for the M's. But we'll see. That one's kind of, you know, not very important. Uh, in in the, the same realm here, eh, I don't know how, how important this one is. We traded Carlos Santana, as mentioned, uh, after getting him from, from Philly. To Cleveland for Edwin Encarnacion. Uh, I think the big part and a of this pick. one and a pick and a pick and a and a, what's the, what's the type of pick here? It's like a special... compensatory. Yeah. yeah. So it's basically teams that suck are given an extra pick. So the commissioner says here, here's the pick. So you suck less bad cheap, later. Cheap teams that suck, right? Yeah, cheap yeah. teams that suck. So we have to get and, cheap first. Uh, or no, Cleveland so was cheap. And that's what we, we yeah, Cleveland was cheap because we got their pick. Yes. But it's actually interesting, that pick, what it allows the Mariners to do. Basically, the way the draft works in the MLB is very, very unlike the NFL or the NBA. Uh, you have a set amount of money you are allowed to spend, uh, and that's based on where your picks are in the draft. So every time you get a pick, you're actually getting more money into your total pool. And now you don't have to spend that per pick exactly where the so let's say you get the 77th pick and that's worth a million dollars you're allowed to sign a guy for a million dollars there you could actually sign a guy what's called below slot value for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and then that gives you 750 extra thousand dollars to maybe go out and try and woo a guy away from high school that may just want to or woo a guy away from college that may just want to go to play in stanford and then get drafted three years later you can say well here's an extra million dollars if you come right now to be with the mariners Interesting. So it's actually an interesting it's an interesting little thing. I don't think they care so much about the pick as they care about the extra money that the pick uh, affords them. The uh the Thunder did that kind of kind of similarly with uh the, they drafted a guy named Josh Hustis from Stanford actually uh, oh. a, a few years ago and the deal with Hustis was that you're immediately going to play in the G League and this was just a, a cost saving move for them uh, so that they could have him and he was a guy that was probably not going to get drafted. Uh, but they said that you're going to help us. You're going to help us save some money. Uh, but uh, we're going to take you way earlier than you should be taken. But you're going immediately to G League, and he agreed to do it. Um, which exactly? So there's some gamesmanship that goes on with with these drafting of players. It's not necessarily just about the player. And uh, beyond gamesmanship, it's just uh, grit and determination, which is what Jerry Depoto had <laughs> as he made this trade with blood clots yes. in his lungs. Yes, uh, let's go. That is pinnacle. Bed. Is that is there anything more that is just the epitome of Jerry Depoto? Just like the most optimistic man in the world, is, but also just like ADHD can't do anything but trade, trade, trade. He is jockeying for position for the executive of the year. That's 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 what Jerry Depoto is doing. He's trying to add to his highlight reel. I'm here. I am making padding trades. the stats. Maybe padding the stats. Yeah, for sure, for sure. He's taking a little victory lap here. Of, you know, little little glamour points never hurt anybody. Uh, and so when there's, there's a picture of you executing a deal from a hospital pad, people will not forget that. Uh, and that's, that's kind of JD. JD's all about it. He's, you know, he's he puts himself in the public eye, he's got the podcast. He's not, you know, he's, he's, he's not afraid. Yeah. He's, he's definitely not afraid of the, of the, of the scrutiny. Loves a little bit of the line for sure. Uh, next trade. We'll, we'll kind of go quickly through these. 
Uh, yeah, these ones are less consequential. Trade Ben Gamble. I uh, love Ben, but it was it wasn't really working. Uh, and Noah Zavolas to Milwaukee for right fielder Domingo Santana. He's a he's another guy who goes to a school right around you, Harvard. He's Harvard, a Harvard boy. All right. Uh, Domingo Santana, I'm guessing, uh, did not go to Harvard uh, from the Dominican Republic. Uh, He went to to what they call the Harvard of the Dominican Republic. (laughs) Yes, who could forget? Uh, Um, Real quick about that, though, the Dominican Republic thing. It's very, very, very interesting, the timing of this deal. And I don't know how much you've been following with um, the allegations from Dr. Lorena Martin, who was the spurned ex-employee from the Mariners who alleged that they are a racist organization, Jerry DePoto on down, John Stanton, Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin Mather, etc. And one of her main uh, pieces, uh, one of her main accusations was that the Mariners uh, shy away from Dominican players. They think Dominican play. I think she said they think Dominican players are stupid. Latinos can't catch. Those are things that have come out of Jerry DePoto's mouth. Obviously, when the uh, court case gets settled, we'll figure out how vociferous those claims are. Um, But... um, it was just very interesting that the Mariners, the day that that I think the lawsuit was uh, filed, the Mariners um, traded for a Dominican player. I don't. I'm not trying to say that this was sort of a publicity move for the Mariners, but I, it was just interesting timing. Is and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, uh, let's. Uh, that that is uh, an interesting. I would I would not put it past anybody in 2000. 19 now to do something that is solely PR motivated. Um, we, we just saw Derek Rose today. I don't know if you see the Derek Rose thing. No, I saw that he said something. I don't, I saw it was about Thibodeau or something. I don't know what happened. Well, basically Derek Rose's entire career has been linked to, to Tom Thibodeau and his like resurrection this year as a, you know, decent player again uh, was with Thibodeau as, as the, the uh, Wolves coach. And so Thibodeau gets fired uh, today and uh, Derek Rose tells reporters that if any if, if any of you think that uh, I'm not going to uh, perform like I did just because Tibbs isn't here, uh, you can kill yourself. Which is you know just not the thing you say in 2019. Yeah, that's not that's not a very good thing to it, say. Yeah, this is not a good thing to say ever. But you know, especially especially now, it's just we, we yeah. should know better by now. Uh, but then his uh, his whole uh, I, I'm sorry message a few hours later was that it was a slang term. He, you know, it's just slang. Um, and that's, that's just a prank. Just a prank. Yeah, exactly. It's just a justification. Yeah. So yeah, PR is everywhere. It's been everywhere, including probably what we're all getting sold on with the Poto. But um, yeah, anyways, Santana, the prospect or the player, I should say, uh, a little bit more pop, I think, a little more of a boomer oh, bust yeah. at bat mm-hmm. um, candidate than what what Gamble was bringing to. You. So he's he's real quick. He's just an interesting guy. He had a really great 2017. Um, he put up over three wins, uh, three wins above replacement. Uh, and then in 2018, he was really bad. Um, and part of that was because he was squeezed out of the Brewers outfield because they acquired Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yellick. And obviously, Ryan Braun is cemented in right field over there. So you saw how his path to playing time got really narrow really quick. Uh, he wasn't getting regular at bats. And as a result, he really struggled. Um, he's a guy with, like you said, he's a lot of pop, boomer bust. He has really concerning peripherals. He walks a fair amount, which is good, but he swings and misses a lot. And I mean a lot, like Mike Zanino a lot. And he strikes out a lot as a consequence of that. And he has a really, really high batting. I'm going to use it again. He has a really, really high batting average on balls in play, which anytime you see that, your antenna should go up slightly because that could mean there's some regression coming. Gotcha. Yeah, so Santana, like I said, boomer bust um, guy with uh, – I was kind of surprised I was looking back at his, his, uh, his splits and saw that he had a 30 home run season. Just two years ago, obviously home runs don't mean everything, but 
Um, Gamble was no, never, the power's there though. Yeah, yeah the Gamble real. was never going to be the type of guy who could even produce anything close to that. So, and uh, the Brewers just wanted Gamble because he has a uh, option to go down to the minors, and the Brewers are in a good place right now where they need roster flexibility because they're making a playoff push. So they need to be able to send a guy down and up and down and up and down and up like they can do with Gamble. They can't do that with Santana without waving him and putting him through the waiver process. So they wanted someone like Gamble, which is fine. To, uh, to the first transaction of the new year. This is a signing, an international signing. Uh, the Mariners signed, well, there's there's been a couple that I missed here, uh, smaller signings, but this one uh, was just, just the most adorable press conference ever for oh, he's great, isn't left-handed he? pitcher from the Japanese Baseball League, uh, Yusei Kikuchi, who is 27 years old. Very uh, good pronunciation. I was This whole podcast, I had it in the back of my mind if you were going to pronounce the name correctly or not, and you just nailed it. Not that tough. Not, not that tough. I think if it was if it was more difficult, I would have spent some time in the mirror practicing. But uh, <laughs> Yusei Kikuchi is pretty phonetic. Uh, guy, I, there's a great article in The Athletic today about about he was um, he was actually teammates with Wade LeBlanc um, in, in Japan. Yeah, with uh, the Cebu Tigers. Yes, exactly. And uh, so a guy with, with great stuff, interesting prospect, certainly productive over there. Um, got him on an interesting deal. Uh, yeah, very kind of, interesting deal. Kind of like, uh, we'll see how you do for these next couple of years. If it works out, we'll pay you more, which kind of fits exactly with, with what this, this team is, what we've been talking about this whole podcast. Mm-hmm. I just want to say with Yusei Kikuchi, uh, he said he signed with us. First of all, he said that Ichiro was a god in the sky, which... <laughs> Uh, it's just amazing. And then he also said that he signed with I us. I love Japanese imagery. Like, uh, very descriptive language. Yes, yes. Not that many words, but uh, but says a lot in that sentence there. He said he signed with us because we needed him the most. Which, he's just a hero. That's, this that, is, that, is hero <laughs> that is that is straight up heroic. I'm going to sign with a rebuilding crappy team because they need me. That's they heroic. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, they don't deserve me, but they need me. <laughs> Um, interesting thing with his contract. So he obviously has the player option after three years to sign for 13 million. And then the Mariners can supersede that with a four year, $66 million option, uh, of their own. So either way, this is going to end up being a three year deal, a four year deal or a seven year deal. Uh, there exists a small band of outcomes where he thinks I can get more than 13 million on the open market. So I'm not going to take my player option. Um, but the Mariners don't want to pay him four years, 66 million. So there's a chance it ends up being a three-year deal and then there's no harm, no foul. But what this does is it protects the Mariners from a lot of downside with him. Yeah. And, and I think it just adds some talent or hope or just like a, a, a guy who's more current day, um, than, than a lot of the guys that we're talking about. So it, it just, you know, it just, it's one of those things that it doesn't really hurt you right now. Makes your team a little bit better. Uh, not too much better. So like this is going to put you over the hump um in kind of a bad way but i, I and they're, they're gonna bring him along slowly the japanese baseball exactly league. and that's i think the thing real quick before we move on from this is the re- one of the reasons he chose the mariners is because they are rebuilding this year mm. as counterintuitive yep, exactly. as that sounds because he's not going to be forced into action and have his arm ruined like so many other japanese pitchers like kei agawa or daisuke matsuzaka or players who are expected to contribute immediately and couldn't get acclimated to the innings demands of the major leagues and then their arms flamed out so yeah. i think it is a good move for both parties involved yeah i really like the deal um and and uh obviously the, the quotes from this guy are amazing so if his stuff is anything like his his quotes um he will fit in just well uh denard span is gone a free agent hasn't signed with anyone new yet but he will not be coming back 
Uh, and then Nelson Cruz signed with Minnesota. I was a little bit, a uh, little bit, I don't know, surprised by that. I thought he would sign with a contender, more like the Houston or Tampa Bay. Team. I think Minnesota's going to go for it this year, though. They just signed another reliever. I can't remember his name, but a good reliever. So you don't sign good relievers unless you're intending. That's like the the uh, most apparent. Uh, how yeah. should I say, ostensible way to tell if someone's going for it if they're signing good relievers because yeah. bad teams do not need good relievers. That's pushing your chips in right there is, uh, mm-hmm. is when you do that. Uh, Nelson Cruz signs with Minnesota, although with Minnesota, the central is, is a lot more wide open than, than a playoff spot is uh, out here in the West. Uh, what are your Nelson Cruz memories? We had a podcast uh, berating him um, a few years ago. That's, that's one. That is my ultimate memory. That is... <laughs> When we berated Nelson Cruz, that every time I think about, oh, I know a lot about baseball, I think <laughs> back to that. And no, I don't even think back to the Brandon League thing. I think back to that because we were just so down on that guy. Yeah. And uh, the, the, he turned out to be the, and this is, this is unsubjective. This, he turned out to be the best free agent signing the Mariners have ever had in their history yes. in terms of the production <laughs> for his contract. Uh, it was unbelievable. You know, he was 30, what, 34, 35 years old, coming off of a, of a PED suspension. Mm-hmm. Everyone and their mother thought he was going to break down in the next two years and the Mariners were going to be stuck holding the bag. But he did nothing but produce here, and I just have a lot of good memories about him. Yeah, no, that was really well said. He, uh, I forgot, exa- yeah, I remember us talking about it, of just like, this This will work once, you know, this will work for a year and a half maybe, and then it'll just be a giant mistake. And that was kind of... The window back then was the same kind of thought that it has been in Mariners lore for you know the last couple of decades is let's get it done right now and that's what happens if you go get you know uh, Robinson Cano and Nelson Cruz within an off season. Um, so I, it's it's funny I think it's it's kind of you know the the fruit that Ichiro's career bore in terms of wins and Nelson Cruz's career bore in terms of wins uh, not really there for either of them save save one year for Ichiro. Um, mm-hmm. Both guys you kind of could say put up a lot of empty calories in terms of stats uh but it's just that's such the wrong way of thinking about it's it. a wrong way to look at it because <laughs> baseball it, is so unlike basketball yes where one player can make a team great but and that's the same thing i get so frustrated with the edgar martinez arguments well he never produced in the playoffs blah blah, blah. well he never had the chance to produce in the playoffs because he was largely surrounded by mediocre teams through no fault of his own baseball is a sport like no other sport where circumstance dictates your career and just to penalize a guy because he was in the wrong circumstances is such a bad way to look at the game. Yeah. Same thing why I don't like RBIs. Well, yeah, you can rack up 120 RBIs if you're getting an RBI at bat every time you're up. You know what I mean? But for guys who are on mediocre offenses, they might not get the same chance. So RBIs are largely a uh, circumstantial stat, which I just refuse to look at anymore. Let's uh, let's end this. Uh, we're getting close to the end here with a couple yeah. of questions. First of all, uh, okay. Is Jerry Depoto more? Uh, is he more baseball maestro or PR maestro? Because he's he's at least decent at both, if not good or great at both. But we just don't know fully yet. I think he is a right now. He is a PR guy because he's gotten a lot of buy-in for a. I've never seen so much buy-in around a rebuild as I have seen with the Mariners. Um, maybe that's because I haven't been through a lot of rebuilds in my life, but. Uh, it's a, it's a total, Phil. yeah. So excuse me, reimagination. Yeah. But um, it's he's he's really galvanized um, the fan base around the idea of we're going to be bad, which is not an easy thing to do unless you're uh, Sam Hinkie with the 76ers or whatever. 
but uh, yeah, he was he was good with that. And if he is a baseball genius, I think that remains to be seen. His stint in uh, Anaheim or Los Angeles or wherever was not amazing, but he did take them to the playoffs. So uh, remains to be seen about how good of a general manager he is. But he is, if nothing else, a very talented um, spokesman for the team. So that that brings up a good point because you you know you. You said there, like, he sold people on us being bad. And I think, you know, Mariners fans having some intent with their, their badness is, is a new thing. We've been bad before, but it didn't really yep. seem like it was But now at least there. there's – exactly. But my at least question there's is, the hope. How, how bad is this going to be? Is this is – this, I mean, you, you said it before. We didn't tear it down to the studs. There's still some talent there, uh, you know, albeit not great talent. But is are we talking here where – you know, the we're trying to go as low as possible. Let's lose 100 games, or is this a thing where no. uh, it's 70? This team's not bad. Yeah, happen. this team's not bad. This team isn't bad. There have been bad teams that we, me and you, and many people listening have sat through. This is not one of those teams. Um, if you look at projections, and you can go if any of you really do care a lot about the Mariners, there's a great site called Fangraphs where you can look at steamer, what they call their steamer projections, which basically takes the current roster that they have and projects it out over the course of 162 game season. Mariners are projected at 76 wins right now, which is, you know, six games below 500. It's not a horrible team by any means. It'll still be totally watchable on a July afternoon at a nice sunny game. It's, it's not going to be a horrible team at all. Um, I think it's fair uh, to assume that D Gordon's going to have a little bit of a bounce back year. Kyle Seager is going to have a little bit of a bounce back year. Um, so no, I, I I'm not I'm not doom and gloom about 2019, uh, but it's not going to be a playoff team. I want to be clear about that. Uh, barring something miraculous happening, it's it's it doesn't have the talent. It doesn't have the horses to make it to the postseason. Yeah, I think uh, my, my just I just need to figure out if I need to be pissed when I wake up in the morning and see that the M's won. Because <laughs> if it's if it's fully like that, uh, I need to be ready for it. No, they're not tanking. They're not tanking, and yeah. and tanking in baseball is not have the same effect as tanking in basketball or football where you get a guy who's going to impact the team right away next year baseball you get the number one pick and you're not going to see him until four years later and that gm's going to be out of a job anyway by then so no one tanks in baseball which is people rebuild in baseball don't get it wrong but people don't tank for draft picks in baseball it's just not something that happens yeah and a a tank in baseball is so much more miserable than a tank in (laughs) exactly 160 games of not trying is is uh is a lot different than than 80 or 60. Um, another question here is about Mitch Haniger. And so Mitch Haniger mm-hmm. last year had a breakout season, all-star campaign, uh, got very close to, to 30, 30, 100 splits. Obviously, 100 is an RBI, so I won't, uh, we can ignore that. But um, he uh, he had kind of two seasons. He was uh, the um, very productive in the beginning of the season as mm-hmm. kind of the sixth hitter, uh, an auxiliary piece when you had the full thing going with, with Cano, Gordon, Cruz, uh, Segura, etc., uh, very productive there. Then when uh, Robinson Cano goes out and is suspended, he's now the three-hitter. Uh, and then after that wasn't working so well, and when Cano came back, Haniger was in the one the one slot, uh, performed very well there. Uh, so his OPS when he was in the one slot was 9.67, drops down to 7.11 when he was in the three-hole, mm-hmm. uh, with relatively the same number of at-bats in the, both of those spots. So my question here is, what do we have with Mitch Haniger? Do we have a, a number three hitter going forward? And is he going to suffer as probably being that guy this season? Uh, or is this a, a guy that probably should be uh, in more of an auxiliary role? 
I know this is going to be an unsatisfying answer, but you know, just like anything in life, the answer lies probably somewhere in between those two outcomes. Um, I think he is a very, very, very good player, and especially on the contract. And I hate to keep harping on the contract situation, but that really does dictate so much in sports and in life how much you get paid. Um, <laughs> but um, he, for who he is, I'm guessing he's never going to be a guy like Mookie Betts or someone like that, where you're going to say, "This is the guy. This is our horse. This is the guy we can ride to the playoffs." Or you know, as long as we sustain a little bit of talent around him, obviously the angels haven't been able to ride Mike Trout to the playoffs at all. So you need talent around your superstars. But I think, I think he is somebody who is probably going to put up four to five wins a year for you. And that is a piece that is as valuable as any. Um, I I don't think he's going to be Mike Trout or Mookie Betts, but he's, he's certainly not going to be a bad player for the Mariners at all. And I, I, and he is a guy who, and now that I say this, he's going to have a horrible season. But he's one of those guys you look at his peripheral stats. He's pretty regression proof. Everything he did last year was no smoke and mirrors. Everything he did, he earned. And uh, in fact, he might have gotten even a little unlucky last year. So I think the truth in it, it lies in between there a little bit. Will he be a Mariner by the end of the season? I would. If you had asked me before they had signed Kikuchi. I would have said no, but now I think yes. I think Depoto is that Kikuchi signing was a signal that he is really serious about this being a retool or a reimagine yeah. or whatever, rather than a rebuild. Yeah, that's a good point. That there, you know, the things were before Kikuchi were trending towards the this might be a hundred loss team and that would be an intentional uh, kind of goal. But this is um, the, the Kikuchi signing says you no know, that there's there's some interest in in how this this 2018 ball club performs. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, man. That that was that was a lot. That was that was a ton of information. Yeah, that was a lot about this season. I feel uh, much more empowered. I'm, I'm hopefully uh, that anyone who's listening does as well. You need to edit some of my stuff out, man. That was too long. Hell no, no. We're gonna slow you down <laughs> so people can can really listen to it. Um, so thank you for for all of that. We're gonna end this uh, with something that I have just been giddy about, uh, and this is something that we kind of talked about last year. Uh, but it wasn't really a segment; it just kind of happened. Uh, but this this was uh, Dark Mariners commercials. Uh, we uh, I think we did last one last year. One of the uh, like the hydro drivers being uh, kind of trapped in their own reality up on the mm-hmm. the, the video board there, like that one last year. Um, what do you have for us this year? Of just okay, I just have one Mariners commercials that just go way wrong. Okay, and I have one, and it is based on the off season that we've had. Have you ever had seen the movie Saw? I have not, but I get the premise. Okay. So Saw, they basically, the very first scene, the opening scene is two guys waking up in a basement and they don't know how they got there, but they're both chained to the radiator (laughs) and neither of them can get out. And, you know, then they go through this whole elaborate torture mechanism thing or whatever. So I think the Dark Mariners commercial of this year is all of the new guys who have gotten shipped into the Mariners wake up in the basement of the Saw uh, building tor- train to the radiator and none of them can get out and they're just being tortured by the eternal mediocrity that is mariners hood it is t-mobile park how weird is that yeah and uh, that is weird isn't it yeah but that is my dark mariners commercial directed by stanley cooper nice nice uh yeah that's 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 good i have something similar um for one of mine which is uh, much has been talked about with uh with the kind of the, the situation that everyone brought up once that you know there's gonna be a bunch of new teammates this year uh that uh you know you have that that scenario where everyone kind of says hey this is me uh here's this nice here's this fun fact about me okay now your turn 
So yeah, 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 it's like it's like kindergarten introductions. Exactly. Yeah. So this this year, uh, the Dark Matters commercial, one of them would be uh, everyone is, is is sitting in that room. It's all the new players. It's uh, it's Domingo Santana. It's it's Jared Kalanick. It's it's Omar Narvaez. All these people who are who are now part of the team. Everyone's getting to know each other, along with some of the old hats. Dee Gordon's there. Kyle Seeger, uh, Scott Service, such and such. Everyone's going around saying their fun facts. You know, Domingo Santana. I grew up in Dominican Republic and and so on and so forth. It gets to Kyle Seeger, uh, and Kyle Seeger um, is literally just forgets who he is, right? He's so consumed with everyone else that he has a complete identity. <laughs> he has no idea what his own name is. He has no idea how he got there. Um, and he has just completely uh, lost all who sense of identity. People? Yes. He doesn't even know what baseball is. He's just, just scared and afraid of what's going on. That's when he needs his friend Dustin Ackley. <laughs> what's, what's, what's Dak doing up? right now i don't know he should go play in japan i think he'd be good over there that would be a fun podcast guest if i could yeah yeah let's him. swing dustin ackley on this podcast another uh, idea for dark mirrors commercials i had for this year was uh jerry depoto trading his children away for compensatory picks uh <laughs> <laughs> just shipping them off to into uh the highest bidder to uh to parts unknown to uh <laughs> to acquire something else and then another one is uh having a someone gets traded night for ticket sales because uh, it will be tough to get people indoors uh, into T-Mobile Park this year. Uh, so fans. So someone gets traded during the middle of the game. Yeah, fans can interactively vote during the game uh, to uh, to decide who gets traded. Has anyone ever been traded in the middle of a game? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's gotta have happened. For sure, yeah, it's definitely happened. I think like you, you'll probably see it. Every team usually has something like that where. Guy gets called me. That's so sad. They just, they're just doing their job. How would you like that? I guess it does happen in the real world. You're just doing your job, and your boss comes up and says you're fired. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's that's the commercial. Is that uh, the M's are having their marketing meeting, and they're just trying to figure out um, how they can get people in the seats, and they decide to to have fans control who's going to get traded because everyone knows that. Man, the, there is not going to be a lot of wisdom in that crowd. I will tell you that. <laughs> never is, never is. But uh, but yeah, we're, we're we're among there, right? We're we're. Uh, even if we're 2% more refined, we still have no idea what the hell is going on. Oh, yeah, 100%. So, yeah, this is this is just fun spitballing. Uh, tell everyone where they can get a nice, delicious meal or a nice uh, nice cocktail in the Seattle or Bellevue areas. Hey, if you're ever in the Seattle or Bellevue, this is my pitch. This is I've had to go on for an hour listening to you talk about baseball just so I could get this little pitch in. <laughs> <laughs> if you're ever in the Seattle or Bellevue area, go to, in Seattle, Il Terrazzo Carmine or Intermezzo Carmine. And if you're ever in the Bellevue area, just go to Carmine's, just the name Carmine's. And I will be there. We can talk about baseball or we can talk about other stuff. I know stuff about other things sometimes too. <laughs> so um, yeah, come on in and say hi to me. Phil, uh, Phil is like Hermione Granger with the uh, the time turner. He uh, he's literally in both places uh, at once. I don't know how you do it, busy man. Uh, but uh, go to Intermezzo for a great cocktail, not just good cocktail, but great cocktail right by uh, T-Mobile Park as you're heading into the game. Still haven't made my my dinner debut at either Carmine's location, but uh, have plenty. It'll of happen soon. It will. Well, well uh, plenty of people who have who have been absolutely floored with this stuff there. So, uh, good stuff, Phil. Thank you so much for this. Uh, we'll be we'll be in touch soon when uh, when the next transaction happens. All right, take care, Brandon. Yeah, peace, man. Bye. That was Phil Smeraldo talking Mariners. Should be an interesting season, if nothing else. 
Thanks for listening, and please go check out either Il Terrazzo Carmine or Intermezzo in Pike Place or Carmine's in Bellevue. All great spots. Phil will treat you right, that's for sure. Peace!